Hey, welcome to the Heart Guy Media Podcast. I am your host, Jesse AHS, and uh, today we're going to review a movie we talked about a little on this podcast when we uh, when we did the Stephen King uh, two-part episodes um, episode. Uh, and the first part of that uh, I did with uh, my guest who's going to be joining me today, uh, one of my very good friends, uh, Mr. Lewis Smith um, of uh, Capital City Smith's podcast fame. Uh, or infamy, uh, rather maybe. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a movie he had not um, yet watched when we did that podcast, but now he since has, and we're gonna get into uh, talking uh, all things Stephen King's Silver Bullet with uh, Mr. Lou Smith because uh, I really wanted him to check this movie out, um, and I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to uh, discuss it with him, us both being uh, huge Stephen King fans, both of uh, his film adaptations and, of course, of his novels. Um, so, um, yeah, we're going to get Lou on here in a second. And, uh, yeah, uh, also uh, big uh, big appreciation for uh, all the downloads we've been getting on the last uh, two episodes. Uh, we had Dan... Uh, Sam Bourne of Trench, uh, drummer for Trench, uh, a band from uh, this area, Syracuse. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners are not from Syracuse. Uh, the majority um, are in the United States, but we have a lot of foreign listeners too, so I really can't thank anybody who's listening in uh, the UK, in Canada, in uh, Russia, uh, in Japan, all these awesome downloads. Um and streams we've been getting of the podcast in other countries, uh, as well as everyone around um, around the United States. It's it's so awesome. But yeah, that episode was great. The one I did with Charles Beekner, um, with a Straight Edge 420 episode was a lot of fun. Even if you aren't Straight Edge, check that one out. Uh, we also talk about our favorite uh, stoner riffs. So um, it was it's been a, a lot of fun, and those are great episodes. And shout out to Trench. Um, Dan Sanborn and Trench, and shout out to Charles Beekner of Doom Tunes. Amazing, amazing, amazing stuff he's selling. Uh, some rad shit. I'm gonna post it on our uh, Heart Guide Media page on Instagram. Um, yeah, and that's uh, Doom underscore Tunes T O O N S. Uh, check out all his stuff, and uh, let's get to it right now with uh, Mr. Lewis Smith. Jesse, what's up, brother? What's going on, my man? Dude, how you doing? Good, man. Uh, just uh, as I know you did, you know, you get home uh, and you, you do the, the rigmarole of running around getting shit done, and I'm glad you could uh, carve out uh, a little bit of time to sit down and uh, do what we do best, and it's talk, uh, talk uh, just nonsensical about uh, movies and music. Dude, I'm, uh, I was very stoked. A little, I guess to preface this a little bit, so Jesse sent me an amazing fucking care package. I had a Bad Brain live recording from CBGB's, as well as Stephen King's Silver Bullet, which I'd never seen. I know we kind of touched upon it when we first talked about Stephen King. Yeah. Um, and, and I was so excited to be able to watch this. So thank you for this, because this was a super, this is a fucking treat, dude. It 
you know, and I, I had uh, I'd prefaced it uh, at the opening of the, of the podcast as well. Like, uh, it was a movie that um, you hadn't seen. Um, so when we did the Stephen King uh, episode back in September, I I immediately was like. I was like so stoked for you to see it because I wanted us to talk Silver Bullet. Um, so uh, now that you have, I mean, let's. What's your uh, what's your first uh, after viewing the film? You know, uh, what's your first instincts like? What's your gut reaction to the, your overall feeling of the film? Overall feeling of the film, I thought was fantastic. Um, it had the right amount of. I want to say Stephen King's suspense and somewhat gore slash special effects that they somehow work into his movies that are always really, really cool. Um, but I noticed that like Gary Busey, I don't think has ever been sane, which I love because he was just off the fucking hinges in this movie. It was great to see him fucking all animated and stuff. Um, but like, I guess the third big thing was like, I really wish that I had read is this a novella? Is it a short story? Or yeah, is it a picture book. Yeah, it's okay. a it's a novella. Um, it's uh, it, and it uh, I'm not sure if it has uh pictures, honestly, because I got to be completely honest, I haven't read it physically. I read it online years ago. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and the first editions of that book. Uh, or like it's a brown hardcover, and it goes for stupid money on eBay. But they did, it did get a second. Or right around the time of the film, it did get uh, an additional like uh, pressing or what have you um, on a paperback, um, and uh, that that's relatively inexpensive. So I I need to pick uh, at least one of those up. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's from one of his shorter his short you know uh, shorts and. Uh, I really think, and people like uh, there are people are critical of this film, which I I never got because I just thought it was so, and especially, and I've talked about it before, the kind of lack of good werewolf films. Yeah, um, very much agree. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, but uh, back to uh, back to what you were saying, like yeah, this is uh, it's got a great cast, uh, Corey Haim, uh. Playing Marty, the uh, the crippled. Uh, <laughs> the the, uh, the crippled uh, young gent who is uh, you know enamored with his drunk uncle, played by Gary Busey. Uh, he's got a drug. He's got a phenomenal choice, dude. Phenomenal choice for that role, by the way. Oh my god! Dude, whoever cast that thing, seeing him young, and don't be wrong, he looked good, but it's like. God damn, dude, you look the fucking same. Like, he, he ages, but he doesn't. I don't know if it's his teeth or the size of his mouth. I, I don't know what it is, but it's just like, holy fuck, dude. Perfect call on that. Yeah, there's no way that dude eats anything in more than one bite. <laughs> A chomper. Like, yeah, Jesus, if I had teeth like that, I don't even know what I'd do. I'd probably, I probably wouldn't be sitting here, I'll tell you that. Uh... But it's uh, and he has a drunk uncle name too, Red Uncle Red. Yeah, right. If, if that's not fitting, I don't, I don't know what it is for that whole like archetype of like drunk crazy uncles that show up once every year, you know, and have stories and bang Asians, like you know, <laughs> it just that makes sense. 
you know, I and I saw this film uh, young, like as I did with most films, uh, like horror films, uh, mainly because uh, my parents were both uh, pr- pretty decent horror fans, honestly. Um, and uh, I guess it was some way, maybe it was uh, a way to like keep your kids in line, like because they would always, whenever I'd watch like a movie, they'd be like, you know, your ass better beat go to fucking bed when we send you upstairs. Because if you don't, the f- there's a fucking werewolf that's gonna come out there and eat your ass if you don't. If you get up once. Fucking parenting, parenting in like the early to mid nineties. Yeah. Oh my god. This is all the same, dude. It's all the same. And uh, I, one of the, you know, it's it's the uh, opening uh, scene as well. One of the one of the first uh, images you get is. Uh, the drunk walking the tracks when he gets uh when he gets beheaded by the uh by the werewolf and i love for some reason i i love it i love that like he didn't get like eaten he didn't get like tore apart he literally just got fucking clubbed like fucking evander holyfield just knocked this fucking block right off dude that was so fucking brutal i was i was laying in the living room and she was in the kitchen like dick around with food and like that scene happened and it it's within the first, like, four minutes yeah. of the opening credits. I was like, holy fuck, that was brutal as shit. Like, and they kept, like, panning and showing the head in the morning with, like, the fucking maggots and stuff. Like, I was like, this is awesome. You know, it, it's just that right amount. Like I said, just that right amount of, like, gore. But, like, I did not expect that, you know? I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to expect going into it, but it kind of set the tone. I was like... Alright, on board. Let's go. Yeah, it it caps it that it does too. It captures you because it's already telling a story. Yep. You know, you they're giving you a time frame. They're you know they're giving you you know an immediate death without any like without ruining anything. They automatically have you invested, uh, and I thought that that was uh, that was great. And, uh, it's, uh, the, uh, and, and something I, I always notice and I, I think about it more why they didn't dive into probably because they keep it relatively, I mean, you have a lot of townspeople in there, but like the cast is relatively small, like as far as like your focal characters. But when I say that, and then I think about, you know, Marty's like, you know, love interest that's trying to get blood rush into those legs, um, <laughs> Like her drunk like stepfather is watching like AWA wrestling, um, like you have those. You have the fucking the familiar. I can't think of the guy's name right off the top of my head, and I'm not gonna not gonna pull like a. I'm not trying to be fake and look up IMDb every time. I can't think of the guy's name, but he's the guy that fucking is filling up Marty's uh, gas tank too. Ask him if he wants to check the bullshit meter. Yep, yep. I I did. I've seen. I feel like I've seen that guy play as like. You know, a third string side character. Yeah, I, exactly. I can't, I can't remember his fucking name, and I feel like he's definitely run the gambit with like I just I guess horror films. I, I recognized his face immediately, but I didn't. I couldn't think of his fucking name. Exactly. He's like a. He's like a. Uh, he's like the poor man's Buck Flowers. If you if you know who Buck <laughs> Flowers is. He's the poor man's Buck Flowers. 
You're just filled with like insane analogies. <laughs> I swear to fucking God, where do you come up with this shit, dude? <laughs> I got a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh. You know, and something I gotta I gotta call Sean Henderson out because this was an amazing, like, uh, crude comment. Uh, so back in 2010, and I, I we're just spitballing here, so people are just gonna have to deal with it. Um, so back in 2010, it was Ray. It was probably like a day or two after Corey Haim actually uh, passed away in pneumonia, and. Uh, we're like, well, fuck, like, we're going to, he was actually supposed to appear at the Monster Mania that we were coming, we were going to go to in Cherry Hill that following weekend. So, oh, damn, dude. yeah, so, I mean, it. needless to say, it was pretty, uh, it was, it, was, it sucked, uh, especially, like, me being a huge Lost Boys fan as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we did a double feature, we're like, oh, fuck, we'll watch Silverbolt and Lost Boys, perfect. Uh, a little tame tribute a couple days before Monster Mania. So we throw in Silver Bullet, myself, Mr. Brian Tyler, and Sean Henderson are watching this, and uh, it's quiet, no one's really saying anything, and we're just kind of watching, and when Marty is going into, you know, one of the, you know, you get introduced to Marty and his uh, friend, um, why am I blanking on his name, Brady, uh, Brady. you know, and he throws the fucking snake at at, uh, Jane and fucking ruins her pantyhose and... And, uh, so, uh, anyway, when he goes home and he's wheeling himself up the, the, uh, handicap like ramp, uh-huh. um, Sean is just complete dead silence. And Sean goes, I'm a crip, I'm a crip and I'm going up these stairs. <laughs> and it was so like, <laughs> it was so weird and so odd and so crude and so like ill timed because Haim had just passed away. But I, it was, and also I think we were all really tired, so it was fucking, me and Brian couldn't, couldn't breathe for like 20 minutes. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Like, I'm, it, glad you, I'm glad you put him on blast for that too, because that's fucking hilarious. Oh yeah, <laughs> I had to. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just, it was one of those things I always associate with that movie now is just that ridiculous fucking like little sing song that Sean, Sean's been known to like just sing things that's going on or, or that he's doing. Like, I remember one time he was bringing down the trash and he's like, taking out the trash because I gotta go to work tomorrow. Like, like he's just shot. Like, and I, I have to call him out cause now I hope it gets back to him, and then he'll actually have to listen to my fucking podcast. That fucker. <laughs> that fucker. Well, now, now I can. I'll, I'll take a moment. I guess to thank Sean because now, from this moment on, when I watch that goddamn movie, I'm gonna think that in the back of my goddamn brain <laughs> as I'm watching Corey Haim wheel himself up the goddamn like way up into his home. So, uh, that, thank you. You know, that's two people now. Yeah. Uh, uh back to the film. Uh, it's uh it really does like and i don't know uh i don't know if it it seems like a even though it takes place in 1985 you know you're dead center in the middle of the fucking 80s it seems the movie i mean the story itself as well but the movie too is timeless it feels timeless it feels like it could take place like at any time, and it's very, like, obviously, it was shot in Maine, mm-hmm. you know, it takes place in, 
uh, uh, Tarker Mills, uh, you know, it's just a fictional town. Um, but it does have, tell me it doesn't have that like Canastota Pine Ridge feel to it. Dude, absolutely. Small town, you know, maybe two lights drugstore. I don't know. It, it, the one thing too, and like, I have a feeling part of it is because of the way in which like King writes just the vocab that he uses. Like, aside from, like, the vehicles and, like, the obvious lean to what time it was supposed to take place, I feel like there, there was definitely some moments, like, some weird one-liners. And, and I know I kind of mentioned it, like, when we were talking about Dreamcatcher, um, with, like, Beaver's character and some of the shit that he would say. But some of it kind of felt like maybe these characters were kind of caught in the 50s. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and, and again, it was more, like... I guess it was more some of the elderly townsfolk. I even feel like I even feel like the kids had a couple of things they said where it's like I don't know if anybody said that back then. I feel like that's older. But then again, what the fuck do I know? I wasn't alive at that point, so King could have, could be onto something. But he definitely has something about the way he writes dialogue that is totally like. It just doesn't seem to fit with anything outside of like the fifties slash maybe early sixties or something, you know. Yeah, exactly. And it just uh it has such a in 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 every town, like in every guy feel to it, especially with like the you know, obviously you got like a, a group of hunters in the movie as well. You have uh, you know, it's cool, you know. They have like a reverend because everyone, you know, it's like a church going town. You know what I mean? It's a, mm-hmm. it's it, it captures definitely that main feel for sure. Absolutely. Now, uh, so uh, what is uh, so I'm trying to so we gotta. I mean, the the star of this film, you could say, is Gary Busey. You could say it was Corey Haim, but Everett McGill, who played Reverend Lowe. Um, mm-hmm. he really is truly like the, the standout in this film. I think he, you know, when you're playing, you know, the, a werewolf and when you're playing, you know, the actual, uh, the humanistic side of, you know, a werewolf for you to not, for you to play a wolf and not, you know, a werewolf and not seem, make it seem hokey when you're not the werewolf. It's it's hard to accomplish and it's hard to like instill like a creepiness and like and he wasn't he's someone that I think uh has remorse at times, you know, obviously when he's uh, when Reverend Lowe's dreaming um yeah. when he's dreaming of, you know, this is after, you know, some some killings have taken place. We're kind of jumping around, but we're that's just the, the format we'll take with it. Um but, you know, so, you know, the make it, you know, he wakes up, make it stop. But at the same time, like, you know, towards the end of the film, he doesn't want to be exposed. He wants to kill Marty because he doesn't want to be exposed. He's not going to let him ruin him. And I think that, you know, the animalistic side and the, the primal side of being, you know, a werewolf uh, has taken over low towards the end of the film where, you know, this kid injured me 
which which we're going to talk about that amazing scene as well um you know and uh he just uh are you familiar with any of his other work are you a twin peaks fan at all oh absolutely Uh, outside of that i don't know much of what he's done but you know the the what i guess now at this point the three seasons of twin peaks um that's pretty much the extent of what i've seen him in so, Without, like, looking shit up online, I, I can't say of anything else. Right. So he was, uh, uh, something I uh, immediately uh, associate him with is another amazing film uh, done by Wes Craven called uh, People Under the Stairs. Okay. have not seen that, but I've heard a lot about that. Actually, I think I've heard you reference that more than once. Before. Yeah, not, and, not, about, not in regards to, to Everett McGill, but just in general. Yes, and uh, Wendy Roby, who plays his wife uh, Nadine in Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. um, is in um, is plays his like sister in uh, People Under the Stairs as well. Dude, no shit, really? Yes, and uh, Ving Rhames is in that one. Um, it's uh, it really is a. Uh, I got to highly recommend People Under the Stairs. It is a fantastic movie. Dude, what year was that? 1991. So this was post-Basically Twin Peaks as far as season one and two, right? Uh, yeah. That, yeah. right after it. Well, I think, like, I think the second season was airing like going into 92, so it was like dead. Okay. It was dead during the heap of you know Twin Peaks. Okay. Damn, dude, that's fucking so cool. I, okay, I gotta check that shit out. That's that's my next FYE fucking. Oh, it's you know. it truly is like a, an awesome film. It is. Uh, I can't say enough good things about it. So, uh, definitely the next time if you if you watch once you watch that, we may have to hop on and talk about that one. Totally down, dude. The one thing too that I wanted to mention about this because I'm glad you touched on the fact about how he was able to portray a werewolf when not in werewolf form as he, he wasn't fucking hokey and he definitely showed his human side one thing I noticed and I wanted to ask you about this because I figured that you would know um his fucking eyes when he was the werewolf were like so goddamn piercing and I'm wondering if ever if, if he was actually in a werewolf outfit every time they shot him or shot the werewolf if that was actually him or if it was just whatever a couple times he was, you know, look at the very end when he's, you know, when he's dying, basically. And they show the whole, like, reverse transformation. Yeah. If, so, I'm wondering if you had any insight on that, because if those were his eyes in there, which I, I, it seemed like they were, they were goddamn piercing. Those are haunting. They look so fucking, like, empty. It was awesome. So, I'm unsure. I, I would have to really watch it again and look at those eyes. Um... But I know for a fact that Everett McGill did play uh, in the werewolf suit. But also, I know for a fact that Julius LaFleur um, is credited as, uh, you know, the stunt, the like, uh, the stunt coordinator. And uh, I know, I think I've, I've read somewhere that he was uncredited as some of the stunts. So I can't, I can't really wax too intellectual on who actually was playing him in there or if those eyes were indeed you know Everett McGill's the stunt coordinators Julius LaFleur or if they were completely like uh you know manufactured um 
you know, fabricated. Um, I'm, I'm unsure, but I can't agree with you more. Like, uh, it is, it, it never takes me for some reason too. like people try to like, uh, you know, I, I guess it's more newer aged horror fans. You know, when I say newer aged horror fans, I'm saying like people that are like trying to, they'll like, like shitty stuff, like, and they'll like, like, older horror films but they'll shit talk like the effects in certain ones and things like that so they're kind of like the elitist uh horror fans uh that engulf much of the the community unfortunately but i thought that the the way the the werewolf looked the costume the the makeup all that i thought it looked good especially for 1985 um and i was like invested it never takes me out of it like when it looks that way and i think it i don't know i don't know he looks he looks good especially for the time yeah i i didn't have a moment and i don't know the thing is too like with me like i i know that you're really good like you pick up on a lot of stuff like that and you have a lot of insights just across the board like with horror films and the, the effects and who did the effects and other films that they've done effects with etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's like it's too bad because like some conversations that I've had with people, or if I try to show a movie, even to like my close friends, like um, one of my, actually two of our friends were over in February, and uh, I had another creep song, and we were watching it, just because I wanted to have it on, and they were coming over, we were getting ready to go out and watch some music and shit, and like, it was kind of like, my, my one buddy, he's like, dude, he's like, what is this? And it was like, it was at the point when they're like going into the like the cryo chamber, uh, you know, the cripple there and his buddy, and they're yeah, seeing, yeah. And he's like, he's like, dude, what the fuck is this? And it's showing like the little, you know, the next scene like segues, and it's the goddamn like, I, I don't know what you consider them, the fucking snake slugs there. Like, he's just like, what the fuck is this? And it's like, I don't know. I don't think about that shit when I'm watching more films because I don't know. I, I don't put any of that shit against it. It's like, is the story good? Right. Is it fun? Is it scary? Like, I don't know. It's got to be really, really, really fucking, like, not well written for me to be like, I can't fucking watch that. Right, right. And it's like, I don't know, even even with, like, Puppet Master and shit, it's like, I haven't gotten that far in the goddamn seven movies that I've seen yet. There's been a couple times that I'm like, okay, this is terrible. But, like, I don't know. I, I, I guess I just don't. I, I, I never go into it like that. I, I just, I, and I can't stand fucking when people do that shit, too. It's just like, give it a goddamn shot. Understand the time, too. Like, that's a huge thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't criticize a movie that was trying to, you know, create something that there wasn't really, other than, like, you know, the Wolfman, uh, mm-hmm. for there to be, like, a huge, like, uh, platform or, like, canvas to pull from. You know, the werewolf was, even at that point, I mean, I I can't say that too much, but, you know, because um, I, I, I can't I, I can't take anything away from the effects in American Werewolf in London and how the effects in that one came out. Have you seen that film before? I have not. That's, I've, I've seen, I've not seen that one, no. And it's been on my goddamn queue on Netflix for, like, fucking years. See, uh, see, that's where I like, I, I really... I relish the fact that you're you're an overall movie fan, so you aren't like you aren't more segregated to one genre or the other. 
So there's there's some films that are like uncharted uh, territory for you. So I am like beyond excited for you to check these films out because it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome to talk these films. And I can't I that is kind of uh, the Howling. Uh, have you seen the Howling? No. So the Howling and American Werewolf, Werewolf in London are the the st- the gold standard for werewolf films in my opinion. Um. And both were uh, from 1981, I believe. Um, but yeah, they are the 100%. Rick Baker does an amazing job. It's the a most amazing werewolf transformation scene in any movie ever still to this day is American Werewolf in London. And that's all I'll say. And you have to check that out uh, ASAP immediately. Okay. And that's the thing, like, I need, I need suggestions like this, and pretty much, like, I don't know, you've been super helpful with all this stuff, too, like, just pushing ahead, and I don't know, I don't, I don't need to, you know, I don't want to suck your dick too much on the air, but this, you've been super fucking helpful, and, like, steering me along, because, I don't know, like you said, it's like, I, I love movies that have a vast appreciation, I've seen a lot of shit, but there are certain things that, for whatever reason, I just haven't seen them. And it's always one of those things where it's like, dude, you got to watch this. But, like, most of the time when people say that shit to me, it's like, I don't know, it's movies like Ben-Hur or something, you know? Like, right, you right. Know, not to talk shit about Ben-Hur, but it's like, I've never seen Ben-Hur. I don't know. But with, like, things like American Werewolf in London or, like, Shawshank Redemption, it's like, those are important movies. you got to see it. It's not like, you know, we're not talking about the latest Kevin James film or some shit. Like, right, right. It's like, so, so I'm glad that you've been helpful with that because... There's so much out there. There's so much out there that I need to catch up on. But you're always good about giving me the cream of the crop shit, so I appreciate it. Yeah, and like I said, uh, there's so much. Um, there's so much out there, and there's so much for like, like. Uh, to be completely honest, I, I've like, you know, it, movies, you know, have taken on such like a an importance in my life the last uh you know they've always been huge in a lot of these movies i saw so young but then once you get to a point where you're buying movies you know when i got to the early 2000s and i was actually like just trying to buy whatever i could i was rediscovering these films that i had you know forgotten about since i was a kid so there had just been endless amounts of uh these films but i can't recommend america werewolf in london enough and uh, I can't recommend The Howling, uh, which I know you're uh, a John Carpenter, The Thing fan, correct? Oh, yeah. So the guy that did the effects in that did the effects in The Howling, which also has uh, an amazing uh, werewolf transformation scene, Rob Bottin. Uh Amazing film, too. Both came out in 81. Definitely recommend both of those. Fuck yeah. But anyway, right. back to back to Silver Bullet. So this was directed by uh, uh, Daniel Ateas, um, who honestly... This was his first film. Okay. I don't think he's done many. I'm not really sure what his... I know he's done a lot of TV. He's lived, like, in TV. I know um, mainly because I'm a huge um, a huge HBO uh, mark. Uh, I know he's done Six Feet Under. I know he's done The Sopranos. He's done, like, stuff like... Uh, I don't even know what else he's done. Like, he's done, like, a lot of different shit. He's a lot of, like, TV shows. I think he did a couple episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think he did an episode of The Walking Dead. Like, he's lived pretty much in TV land, like, um, the 99% of his career. Nice. Um, and, and I 
guess even rattling those titles off, like those, you know, franchises and, or series, rather, it's like, that's nothing to fucking joke about. No, <laughs> not at all. Legitimate fucking, you know, those are legit fucking franchises, you know? Yeah. Now, um, uh, it's the, uh, back to, yeah, back to the film itself. It's, um, you know, once these, uh, there's so many, a lot of King's work kind of, uh, it kind of, it talks of God complexes in some, and, and maybe God complexes isn't the, the term I'm looking for, but like there is this talk or this dialogue this unspoken dialogue in his in in his novels uh of course but like in the film adaptations you're able to kind of see more of the actual uh depiction of it these uh you know these characters were obviously reverend low he's a, he's a pastor uh he's a reverend whatever um but like he almost feels he almost feels like he's doing God's work too, you, you know, with the woman who's trying to commit suicide because, you know, they show the, hu- the, well, the husband, the, uh, the man that doesn't want to like have the child and all this stuff. And she's going to kill herself now, you know, and he even talks about it, like saving her soul by killing her that yeah. yeah, he's playing, you know, the hand of God, so to speak. Uh, so, it, and I feel like there's, there's always this dialogue in King's work, uh, you know, especially like in like Pet Cemetery, you know, you know, it's not it's not God's cat, it's my cat. God can get his own cat if he wants. You know what I mean? There's all those little like things where you know, there's all that. There's always that. I don't want to say religious, but like that God, like higher power dialogue were in his work. Did you do you ever get that like from his other works as well? Yeah, and. and- the one thing that immediately comes to mind is obviously the character of like Father Callahan and Sam's Block, and then he resurfaces again in the Dark Tower. It, it's interesting how he ties in characters like that, that more or less they're religious by nature. Um, he does it again in Revival as well. Yeah. Um, th- there's, a, there's a preacher type character, but more of like, it, it's interesting. I, I, I recommend reading that if you haven't. Um, but there's a character in there who is religious, has an experience that causes him to shift to science, like, completely, but he still keeps that whole, I don't want to say God angle. It's very interesting, but it kind of goes into that whole thing, the God complex, where it's like, I'm doing God's work, but I'm also like, I, I don't want to give too much away of that one, because that one is kind of like, especially the end, takes like a huge, like, turn, but, um, but I have noticed that. I, I, that is kind of a, a reoccurring theme um, with some of the stuff that I've read. And even if it's just subtlety, you know? Yeah. Even, even if it's just my, even if it's just something that, like, a villain will say at one point, um, I, I definitely, I, I agree with you on that. Um, and definitely there's been some, some of the, the King adaptations that I have not seen. But uh, but I definitely take your word for it that, that that is something that does come up because I don't know if it's something that he subconsciously works on or he thinks about or whatever. But um, his universe is just so fucking twisted and it's goddamn addictive. Oh, um, it definitely is. But that's that's a super interesting point. Now I'm gonna fucking go back 
through the books that I've read and think about the characters and shit. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. I can, so continue. I'm sorry. Now, now I'm going to fucking reflect here. Um, yeah. Yeah, continue. Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, uh, it's, and uh, I'm trying to think where, so the killings, you know, start happening. The, uh, you know, the, the woman who's trying to take, get all pilled up and fucking OD, fucking, you know, to go foam at the mouth to have her freaking decrepit, freaking weird squealing mother find her, um, uh, gets a, a different dose uh, when she runs upstairs like frantic, crying. Um, yeah. Just to see that, you know, this, uh, her daughter's just been tore, tore up like a fucking, like a, some pot roast on Sunday evening, just ripped right to fucking pieces. Fucking, fucking shredded, dude. Like, just totally, like, the whole, especially, like, the raking of the claws, like, down the torso or the back. Yeah. Trying to think of the angle of the camera, but it was like, God damn. See, you know what's interesting, not to, sorry to cut you off, um, um, is that would, by all standards, that would be considered tame these days, but still the way it was shot, what you, what you saw and what you didn't see is what was really terrifying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that that's kind of, it's a mechanism that's been used for a long time, but I can't, I can't stress that type of shit enough. It's like when it's when you utilize that, when filmmakers utilize that, it's just what you don't see is sometimes the shit that fucking sticks with you. Oh, uh, absolutely. Your mind is then able to fucking like project that out and take on different scenarios. I fucking love that. Like, obviously, yeah, I want to see crazy ass shit, but like, I don't know, the brain that shit's that shit's nuts, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, it's. And to think this movie came out, I think it came out in like uh, the fall, September. Maybe it came, I think it came out. Actually, yeah, I'm almost positive it came out in like October of '85. To to think like what an experience this would have been seeing this in October of 1985 in theaters would have just been. See, it would to me it would just feel so like special and like, especially because it just seems. It, it, by all standards, it definitely is like a lower budget film, but they did so much with so little like uh, money. Oh, dude, absolutely! And also, like that whole sequence with that fucking hillbilly father in the greenhouse, that whole thing, and he gets like jabbed up through like the fucking like chest, with yeah, that piece of wood, like when he falls forward or whatever. Dude, that that was awesome. The suspense that they like put forward in there and it was cool to see it was really cool to see how the werewolf actually like kind of tracked like basically hunted him you know following him through it's, you know the, the dudes obviously freaked the fuck out that was a big ass greenhouse by the way yeah oh yeah and a lot of goddamn like alleys you know like catwalks and shit or whatever like but but to see I don't know that like paranoia in, in his fucking face but also just like knowing Kind of, kind of like what you said. What you don't see, it's like every once in a while you see the camera shift, and it's like you know the werewolf looking at him through like a floorboard or whatever it was, and it's just like that. I, I like how they they employ that. Like that was fucking awesome. Credit, credit, 
credit to King for, you know, like, because he did the screenplay as well. Like, he knew exactly what he was doing, and it reads uh, it reads very close to what I remember of the novella. Um, but it really is, like, uh, it's so it's brilliant. Each death is so brilliant because it doesn't go overboard, but you see you you get enough for it to be so horrific that you it's memorable. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I don't know that's definitely that fine line. You know, it's oh yeah. Obviously, it's, it, it's easy to make something that's just like completely over the top and like insane, but like making making something that's like still fucking tasteful and, and well done. It's like In, you know, hats off, hats off to him. You know. And there's so many memorable scenes after. You know, because I, I think the last time I watched this film was uh, around fall time. I, I'll always pop it in around. Uh, I'll always pop it in around Halloween time, just because you know the climax ends like in on Halloween. Um, and it's just, but at the same time, like I'll throw it on like the Fourth of July too, because you know the 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 climax of the film. Uh, uh maybe not the climax, but definitely like you're still in the the. Uh, the building stages, you know, obviously on the 4th of July. Yep. Um, which there's so many, it's so brilliant. Uh, and, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to wax the car of this fucking movie, but it, it really is like, uh, and you know, so at this point, you know, we got like, uh, a couple deaths, you know, the whole town's like in an upheaval. Um, yeah. but then you get, you know, the death of Brady, Marty's friend. Yeah. Which, uh, it's, it really is like, uh, you know, that's something like they go dark, it goes dark there, you know, you have a child death at that point, you know? Right. And I, I, I can't remember the name of the actor, the sheriff. I know it was in Lost. That's like the only thing that I recognized him from. And I'm sure he's been in a bunch of other shit. Oh, uh, Terry, uh, Terry, uh, Terry O'Quinn. He was in, uh, another great movie called, uh, the stepfather. Stepfather. I don't know. Did they remake that? Yes, they did. But the original is great. And he plays, uh, he plays in the stepfather, uh, as the stepfather with, uh, Jill Sholin, who's been in like a bunch of different stuff. Um, but yeah, the stepfather is uh, is great. Is the remake is that with fucking Viggo Mortensen? I no, I don't think Viggo Mort. I don't think Viggo Mortensen was in that. Viggo- sorry, sorry to, sorry to whoever played the stepfather in the remake because I I figure I don't know why the fuck Viggo Mortensen's come to mind, but but anyway, Viggo Mortensen uh, of Hidalgo fame. Yes, Hidalgo. Um, and there's there's an oh, and also fucking. Um, the remake of Psycho, uh, of that fame as well. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he played the fucking boyfriend there with those tight fucking pants, and it was uncomfortable to watch him on fucking screen. Yeah. Uh, no, but I, I love this. I love his character. The sheriff I thought was fucking awesome. He was totally stressed out. I think he dealt with everything fucking perfectly. And when he confronted uh, the father, for, well, I guess at this point it was like the werewolf after the kids kind of tipped him off. I know we're rush you were jumping around all over the place but that whole sequence when he he got confronted by gary Busey's character uncle red there and he's like i'll go talk to him or whatever that whole sequence was fucking great and then getting his head getting bashed in like another another fucking death i was just like god damn but 
Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. His whole, his whole character the whole time, basically the work that the sheriff's office was doing throughout basically bumbling this, this whole series of killings, not being able to come up with anything, the town kind of getting a little crazy. Um, I don't know. I thought, I thought his character was fucking great. I loved him in that. I thought it was awesome. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's uh, a, a big uh, a big memorable scene is obviously when uh, when Brady's father uh, finds him and, you know, uh, the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Holler is trying to hold him back from going to see him, uh, sees his son all tore up and like lets out that primal like scream. Yeah. And that's uh that's pretty brutal. Like to you know that actor really did uh, bring like that emotion to the screen, and you know you got to think that the guy like uh, tried to put himself in you know in there as much as he could because it came off uh, genuine. Right. And uh, you know it's it's one of the most poignant scenes in the film for me when. Uh, you know, they're talking about the deputies there and he's fucking telling the, like the, the fucking, I can't think of the guy's name, but the, you know, the loudmouth fucking gun toting redneck drunk who is like, just, he's so lovable. He reminds me of many people we know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And like, there's just so many great lines. Like he's like, uh, well, we're trying to, like he said something about catching him. He's like, <laughs> you couldn't catch a cold. Like that, just like that, those simple digs, those those like uh, those family friendly digs on people. Uh, but it's uh, when the father, when you know, and they're all you know, they're talking about like the death, and obviously, of course, you know, uh, without brushing over it. Um, before I get to that scene, um, obviously, the scene of Reverend Lowe, like thinking about you know, having the, the dream sequence where everyone turns into a werewolf and that is his, like, you know, that's what he's damned with. That's, that's his burden is being that werewolf and having, you know, those dreams, those realities of like, fuck, when will this end? Like, is it going to end? Like make it stop type thing, you know? But that is before, that is before it's 100% confirmed, right? It's before it's confirmed. Yeah, the the dream sequence, if that's what you're talking about, that was pretty early on because it showed the townspeople and not him. Exactly, yes. The the transformation. But it was right around the time that we as the audience saw, like, like, a bunch of people die. Or more people die, I think, at that point. Right. Because... He woke up in the cold sweats or whatever, and then it was like it was either the next day he was back at the church or whatever it was. I, I can't remember, but oh, it was very early on. You want to know what that was after? Wasn't that after? That was was that before? I'm trying to remember. <clears throat> was that before or after all the people were all the townspeople were killed in the swamp? I can't remember if it was before or after because. You know, it might have been after, because it shows... It was, it was. It was right after that, yes. Okay. So that makes sense. He's feeling mega-fucking-remorseful about the fact that he just murdered, like, six people. But at the same time, it's like it's showing him being consumed by the townspeople who are all werewolves, like, 
was not confirmed at that point, but I loved that whole sequence. It was like super claustrophobic, and I don't know. I, I'm always a sucker for like really fucked up dream sequences, and I know that like obviously in creep shows, like um, you know, it grows on you. Like there's that whole like fucking you know. There's that whole dream or imagination sequence or whatever. I just like those little those little scenes and stones. I thought it was fucking perfect in this one. Yeah. Because it was symbolic, and obviously, again, as as the audience watching that, we didn't fucking know. No, no. It was cool to see that. It was very cool to see that. But taking a few steps back, though, uh, what I was saying uh, when you know the deputy is in there and he's trying to play pool, and uh, I can't think of the guy's name in the, I can't think of the guy's name in the movie. Um, but he's sitting there and, uh, he's fucking saying, you know, we got to do something. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, Brady's father comes in and he has that little monologue, you know, my son was torn to pieces. And like, he is so like, he's, he's digging from like a real spot. I don't know what that actor was using for the fuel for the fire, but, and when he says, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm going to go dig up some private justice because uh, yeah. that was when, yeah, which that whole scene is just so powerful to me um, when, you know, the when uh, Joe Hall, Sheriff Joe Holler comes in there and he's like, what you're talking about is private justice, you know, and then that's when Brady's father, you know, speaks up, pipes up and he has his little like son's arm tribute band on his on his uh, yeah. arm. Little things, little things like that, always like I don't know. It just makes the film more real, and it comes to life even more so when little things like that are added. It's so like so subtle those little things. Well, and it was really cool to see how I don't know. That's one thing that I've I've noticed. uh, One of the wells, and I say that plural. One of the wells that Stephen King will go back to from time to time. Um, not so much in this one, but the tie-in of townsfolk and the mentality of like groups of people. Right. Um, obviously, Salem's Lot. He did it in Black House. Um, he also included it, obviously, in Under the Dome, like in the Mist. Like you get to see all of these people and how they all function together. And, and there's clearly main characters, but in in this film, especially in that moment um, when they're talking about private justice and the sheriff speaks up, he's like, "What you're talking about is." is one step above lynch mobs or, or whatever. Like, yeah. It, 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 it's cool to see that kind of like the breakdown of the system, Lord of the Flies type shit where, you know, it, it, it's people contemplating like, this is just above insanity. We have order, we have law, and there's something that's happening where people are like, fuck this. We're taking matters into our own hands. And it, it's cool to see that struggle between the animalistic nature and like the, or, the law and order of like, you know, civilized man, you know, it's, it's cool to see that struggle because that's definitely something that I think happens more often than not. In, yeah. In books, and you know? it's, you know, when you incorporate, when, you know, horrific things happen and you have, you have monsters, you know, uh, incorporated into a story and there's these crazy things that seem, you know, where there's something unjust happening and there's something like, evil happening like what do you do do you maintain to your civilized way do you maintain to what makes us human and makes us civilized or do you tap into that primalness of being human that none of us can deny 
that animalistic primal urge for revenge for private justice like you know and that is like an internal an internal battle yeah no that he delivered that uh, that whole sequence was very very well done oh i thought they did an awesome job absolutely now um so uh the swamp scene of course uh, is so great because <laughs> there's so many like great fucking like like easy little jokes that are so like like G rated or, or uh, PG rated that are so like hilarious like uh when the fucking what the fucking what the wife say to the old man she's like oh what are you gonna make lemonade in your pants like lemonade in your pants <laughs> that's right like fucking amazing like uh. And that actually, I actually have a little tiny, like, uh, wooden bat in the corner of my apartment. Next time you come over, I'll have to show you. And I actually did write the Peacemaker on it. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had, I had to. It was my little homage to one of my favorite, one of my favorite King adaptations. Um, but, um, yeah, like that whole scene, like was shot beautifully, like with the fog and like the suspense that's just building. Like, it's so, it's so great. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and what was great about that whole sequence too is like better start packing up Andy <laughs> <laughs> I, I told you it was coming from over there coming from behind us and it's just like this dysfunctional bumbling group of like probably borderline alcoholics oh yeah they and definitely fucking just they're all in the worst possible fucking location that they could be at that time of night. And it was awesome to see the fucking the train go off the rails and just getting picked off. Yeah. Like one by one. There was definitely at least two 30 packs of Keystone Light in between all of them. Oh, God. I wouldn't give them that much credit. Probably fucking Jenny or something. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> and, and I swear to God, I swear to God, there was at least one or two people that got killed that I didn't see or recognize them. Like, I think there was one black dude that died. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had to throw him in there. I was like, who the fuck is this? I was like, I haven't seen this guy. I was like, he just got fucking destroyed. Like, I don't know. Going into that, never having seen, um, never having seen a movie, I knew or had a feeling what was going to happen, but I loved the execution. I thought it was fucking Right. Awesome. Yeah, it really was. And, uh... And uh, it's like I said, it's it's there's so many memorable scenes, and this movie is memorable. It's not it's not one of those films that are it's you know you watch you're like oh it was really good like I really enjoyed that one. Like these scenes have stuck with me for years, and they're so like memorable. They're so like entertaining. It's such an entertaining film. It was a well executed film. Very much agreed. So, um, you know, one of the, uh, so, uh, you know, we're to the 4th of, uh, July and, uh, you know, uncle red, Oh, we got to oh, hold on. We got to take, we got to take it way back to when uncle red came into town. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he's getting, he's, he's half in the bag. He's probably actually more than half in the bag. He's all in the bag. Uh, when he's fucking playing, uh, he's playing, uh, cards and betting, uh, betting baseball cards with Marty. 
You, yeah. you can't bat managers. I've told you a thousand times. You can't bat managers. Slamming <laughs> wild turkey. Yeah, oh yeah. Shitty with your nephew. Just getting <laughs> cocked. Dude, in, in that whole sequence, something I know when I was watching it, and there was a couple times that I'd noticed whoever was, whoever was actually shooting it, did you notice when his mom loaded him into, like, the gremlin's fucking, like, elevator chair? Oh, They held that scene for just, like, a second too long on both their ends because, like, you keep seeing them, like, look back at each other and, like, look back. And I know it illustrates that they're very close and that, obviously, Uncle Red is, like, a goofy uncle, but it was just, like, there was a couple times I was, like, I'm wondering how the actors are feeling at this point, like, There was a there was a convention, and I, I want to say it might even been that same convention where Corey Haim was supposed to appear. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was like a couple years later, but um or earlier. Um, but uh, <laughs> Gary Busey was actually signing with his son Jake Busey at Monster Mania in Cherry Hill, um, and I think this was twenty ten or eleven. Um, oh shit! And I wanted to get his autograph, but like he was like he was like just as crazy as you would think. He didn't sit down the entire time. He was standing up, and he seemed like he seemed like nice from what I could see. It was a crowded room, and I had other priorities other than Gary Busey. No offense, to Gary Busey. Um, right. and uh, I just like walked by his table, and I had to say it. And I, I was just it was back when I was a little. I guess I gave less of a fuck, and I was a little more uh, rambunctious than I am now. I guess, but. I was just like, piss on the Yankees, piss on the Indians. And he screams, like, as soon as I finished Indians, he just goes, hey! And then he gives me the finger wag, the no-no, the fig- that finger wag. That's fucking hilarious because I can picture this whole thing not having fucking done that. Yeah, it's, it's one of those moments that was just like, perfect and sean and i can't remember if brian brian was with us but i don't know if he was in the same room but sean was definitely there because i said it and he just goes hey and then did the finger no no wag to me oh man that's fucking hilarious his goddamn big ass teeth just <laughs> screaming at you like <laughs> holy fuck that's awesome yeah so i i, I had to get that in there because it was just so fucking uh amazing and like all these things are like you know the movie has brought so many different, like, things that, like, little things, you know what I mean? Whether it be Sean making fun of cripples, uh, singing about it, like, Gary Busey yelling at me. I'm, I'm sure he probably had no idea that that movie, that line was from Silver Bullet. Maybe he could surprise me. Maybe he did. But either way, he didn't he didn't like that someone said that, and he fucking just yelled, Hey! The, the no-no wag. The no-no wag. Uh, but, uh... You know, uh, so the 4th of July, uh, and, uh, old drunk Uncle Red, a wild turkey swilling fucking Uncle Red's been working on the old silver bullet. Now, if you were, if you were a handicapped, uh, you know, teen, preteen, 12, 13, and you had a drunk Uncle Red that looked like Gary Busey built you this fucking motorized wheelchair called the silver bullet. How fucking, how bad did you wish you were crippled when you saw that fucking thing? Holy shit. Dude, 
I, okay, you know where we grew up collectively, okay? Yeah. You know, you know where Eddie's house was, all right? Yeah. There, I've seen some fucking haggard ass inventions and creations and half baked ideas come in, come to fruition or not. That was goddamn awesome. I was like, holy shit! I was like, hey, you're gonna put a kid on there? Awesome. It's Corey Ames deserves it clearly. He's crippled in the '80s, like he needs that shit. But I was like, that's fucking badass. That like, is... My goddamn drunk uncle do that for me when I was a kid. Exactly. That is the Lose Village Service Nobel Prize of fucking motorized wheelchairs. Dude, and, and I don't even know what was worse. Like, so, so growing up, like, my dad had a three-wheeler. I had a Honda fucking, a Honda three-wheeler, 250cc SX or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> um, extremely fucking dangerous. At least, at least, Uncle, drunk Uncle Red like hooked up kind of a safe looking thing. Yeah. I was around a fucking three wheeler, you know, six or seven years old. Like he at least kind of kept the, the safety thing into into account. And I noticed too on the back, he put like a fucking. It looked like a wheelie. Like it wasn't a bar, but there was a little like wheel in the back, so it wouldn't fucking like flip over. Like, yeah. <laughs> when he's dragging down the road, like I see him like catching. Like okay, so. He did put a little bit of forethought, like, this asshole kid's gonna juice it wide open. Yeah. And, and to prevent him from flipping this thing, like, I'm gonna put a little wheel back there. But yeah, dude, bad, badass invention. Loved it. Was so on board for that. Awesome. And I loved, like, the whole sequence of, like, them, you know, doing a BBQ. Like, there's a curfew, because obviously Brady got fucking slaughtered. Um, yeah. And, like, uh, and, uh, you know, they're they're having the, the cookout, the annual 4th of July fucking Whitelaw Road cookout, like, out back. And <laughs> <laughs> the, the fucking... That's exactly what that was. It's the Waterbury Road picnic, for sure. They're, they're, they're hanging out on the other side of the above-ground pool that's empty, like a broken ladder in it. There's fucking grass growing out of the top. It looks like fucking Jordy Verrill's living in there. Yeah, and I love like I love that Gary Busey's justification, Uncle Red's justification to Marty was he's like, This is so the good she's she's just like, We can't let the bad guys win. <laughs> that, that was the only that was the only thing. That, yeah. that, that was the justification right there. All American that morals, I love them. You can't get any more goddamn American than that. I'm sorry. No. So he gives Marty a big fucking, a big brown fucking bag of fucking the undercover fucking Arnie's produce fireworks. You know that guy sold fireworks out of that produce stand? No shit. Did he really? Oh yeah. Satch bought him there from, from every, like every, every fucking, like he sold like the legal ones. He sold, well not like out front, out front he sold the legal ones, like the fucking. snakes and sparklers. Yes. Basically. And the smoke bombs that you fucking light. Um, yeah. but if you fucking knew, if you knew him well, say, Hey, let me get some of the, let me get some of the good stuff. And he'd fucking bring you fucking back. And he had some fucking, he had actual fireworks there. Like real, real deal ones. Dude, I wonder if my fucking dad, that's where he got him from. Oh, I, I know, I, I know him and Tom, sometimes they go down to, or, or Tom or somebody in that group would drive down this, drive down to Pennsylvania. There was a couple times that he would just have them. 
you know, <laughs> they would get them. They would go in, and I'm like, and, and it was right around the time that was still fucking open, too. Yeah. Because that, that closed down a lot, like, fucking, was it 10 years ago? Yeah, it had to have been, like, mid-2000s, for sure. Yeah. Well, I remember for the longest time, like, on the billboards, like, thanks, Cuomo, or, like, some shit. Like, it was just, like, it was, it was just gone. Yeah. And it's, uh... Whatever, the, the building's still there, and it's on the farm or whatever, Grant's, right? That Grant's farm? No, no, this one was, uh, where the fuck was that? That was in, it was in, like, a Nida Castle, maybe? Like, going, like, the back route to a Nida from, like, Wamsville? Oh, uh, see, I was thinking of the one that's on 31. No, 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 yeah, no, that's, uh, that was Laverne Grant's, uh, uh, produce. Uh, this was yeah. Arnie's, and it was, like, in a Nida, like, the back streets of, like, uh, like, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, what the fuck was the name of that? What's the fuck? What the fuck is the name of that road? I can't think. It's off. It's off. Like Kelly roads off it. I can't even remember. Okay. But either way. Um, but yeah, so Marty, uh, ends up, you know, shimmying down the fucking, the rain pipe to fucking, uh, to take the old silver bullet out. To give it a whirl and to, well, you know, to, to light all, have his 4th of July that he can't have. So he drives to the bridge he starts setting off some fucking fireworks. And then you see, obviously the werewolf, um, looming and then, you know, decides to come in for the kill. So Marty, obviously being the, uh, the crippled MacGyver he is fucking shoots a bottle rocket right into the werewolf's face and gets him right in the eye. Dude, that, I, I loved the whole time they were showing, like, the approach. So they would show, like, you know, the werewolf's eyes. They'd show him on the bridge shooting off fireworks. I don't know about you. It's like, I, I don't know. I run off a bunch of fireworks or set fires or whatever, like, you know, little bonfires and stuff, camp shit. By myself when I was younger, like my dad's burning garbage or whatever. <laughs> you know, like I, I would do that by myself sometimes, you know. And like I don't think once I ever was like I would shoot off a firework or whatever, like a bottle rocket by myself and be like, Whoa! <laughs> you know, like, I, I noticed the whole time. Every time he shot the firework, he, he was way too close to fucking like wick. Oh yeah, yeah. Half <laughs> inch, like. Just the whole, like, the Sylvan Beach, like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, that whole thing was just, I love that. Like, I, I was wondering, I was like, Queen, I was like, did somebody tell you to do that? Or is that how you reacted to the fireworks? Because, like, it was it was awesome. I, I love that whole sequence. And when he was coming up the bridge and I saw him start to aim that fucking rocket at his head, I was like, fuck yeah. In the back of my head, I was thinking it was going to go in his mouth and his head was going to explode. That was the first place I yeah. Like, that was the first thing I thought was going to happen. It's, uh, yeah, and it was, uh, they, it did great for building suspense. It was actually frightening. Like, it, mm-hmm. it was good. It was a good, it was a great scene. Uh, and, and I think what even made it more, like, claustrophobic, you're on a, you're on a fucking bridge. So there are two ways off that bridge. You're also in a, well, he's in a silver bullet, but he's in a wheelchair. Let's be real here. So it's like, he's so fucking vulnerable. 
you know? Yeah. And that, I think, to me, that's why I was like, that, this is this is a little hairy right here. You know, no fucking pun intended, whatever, werewolf movie. It was fucking hairy watching that. And yeah. then to see the approach, you know, coming up the fucking, like, bridge and stuff, like, and then it's setting in on him, like, as to what it was. It's fucking awesome. Love that. And that's a that's such a great shot of him like ripping ass down the fucking uh, down the down the road like going full bore like just scared to shit, and then getting you know shimming back up the rain pipe and fucking and uh, you know sitting in bed and just fucking just shocked and then you know you lead to that to uh, you know Janie you know to him telling uh, Jane sister Jane that you know go find this pretty much go go collect cans for the fucking girl scouts of fucking i need more pantyhose because marty ripped them <laughs> and fucking go find this one-eyed motherfucker so she goes on the fucking hunt she's lifting off fucking towels on fucking andy's fucking face she's fucking invasion of, severe invasion of privacy like oh yeah just, and, and i love that they showed the camera angle showed exactly, like, it, it basically traced her gaze. So, like, she, when she walked in, I think it was the diner, it showed the camera panned each one of the faces, like, she's literally checking everyone out. In this yeah. Room. She's trying to fucking figure this out. I love that. I thought it was awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was great. And then, you know, she's she's given up hope. And then she's uh, she rolls up to the fucking uh, Reverend Lowe's house, a.k.a. Renary's. Um, cause he's out there gardening, uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, obviously you get the reveal that, you know, it's so fucking, uh, Reverend Lowe missing, yeah. missing an old ball of eyes. So, uh, fucking big Ed, big Ed with the one eye looking like me, fucking in, uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got the eye patch eventually. That was pretty cool. And uh, seeing the, and I love the reveal that Janie gets, um, obviously finding the the Peacemaker bat broken, chewed up, like used as a, I think as, uh, as Marty or Janie uh, referred to it, you know, used it as a, Big Tooth used it as a toothpick. <laughs> Those little fucking one-liners that are just like perfect for, you know, there was no fucking like swearing. It wasn't crude, but it was just like it was fun and goofy enough to work in there. Right. Yeah, perfect. So, um, yeah, and then uh, you know, they finally convince fucking Uncle Rad, you know, that to to do something, go to the you got to go to fucking Joe Holler's fucking office and and fucking tell him something. And I love that fucking. Uh, <laughs> I love that fucking one of the best lines in the whole movie is fucking Gary Busey saying he's like I'm a little too damn old to be playing uh, the Hardy Boys meet Reverend Werewolf. <laughs> and, and part of me, like I'm sure that he was reading off a script for a lot of this, but there's always that little spark of hope where it's like, did you come up with this? Yeah, was did that was come, that off the cuff or what? Like, you, you know what I'm saying, like. He just seems that, I, I don't want to say unstable, but he seems like that kind of nuts, even at that age, where it's like, you just, would you just come up with that shit off the top of your head? Yeah. That works. That's fucking, that's, that's gold right there, you know? Oh my God, it's amazing. So, uh, 
you know, uh, well, oh, wait, before all that, like, uh, you know, Reverend Lowe tries to run old Marty off the fucking road, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And he doesn't, be- and he doesn't believe him. Well, the whole, the whole reason why he went and confronted yes. the sheriff was because he saw the paint. Remember? Yes, he yes, that's right. Car, and he's like, blue, and, you know, Silver Bullet had, like, blue paint, like, in the bumper or whatever. But yeah, he fucking tried to run him off the road. So then he takes him on a goddamn, like, gravel seasonal trail with a, a closed-down, like, bridge. Like, that was fucking... When, when you see him, like, get out of the car and start walking, and then it pans back to Corey Haim, and then it, like, pans back, and he's, like, inside the thing, it's like... You know, because, like, you can't fucking do anything. You yeah. can't do a goddamn thing. That, that shit, that slow approach, like, I don't know, that always fucking gets me. Yeah. In, in horror films. Always, without a doubt. Because it's like, I know this character cannot get up and walk. He can't fucking run. And the dude's right there, you know? Yeah. Fucking awesome. Love that. So, uh, so, yeah, he finally goes, uh, yeah, that's how he they convince uh, old Uncle Red, you know, when he says, Hey, Janie, what color is Reverend Lowe's car? And he's, you know, blue. That blue! Like, uh, and then, uh, you know, he goes to uh, Sheriff Joe Holler's office, you know, you know, pretty much says, you know, I'm not saying, he, you know, uh, the sheriff's like, you know, you actually believe all this? And he's like, I believe Reverend Lowe should be checked out. That gives Joe Holler enough. He fucking goes and uh, examines it. And that's a creepy scene, too, where he's, you know, uh, going around uh, Reverend Lowe's house and trying to, trying to, uh, you know, investigate, find him, talk to him. And he doesn't come out right away. And he, you know, goes in the, in the garage and finds the uh, Peacemaker bat. And then old Joe Holler gets it. He doesn't get tore up. He actually just uh, just gets fucking hit a double right up beside his fucking head. <laughs> Stand up double. Yes. I, I might add. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. That that scene. I I thought that was great. And like when it showed when it showed him the fact that he hadn't died as a result of that initial like blow. Yeah. Yeah. That was brutal. Seen, like you see him fucking like kind of his head like Bleh, you know like lolling around or whatever and then he fucking like I, I can't remember if he says something to him at that point like before he does it again or if he just fucking hits him again but like yeah that that sequence was fucking mega creepy oh yeah and, and you know like you said the initial blow like there's just like a the blood the blood splatter and then just you know fucking uh joe holler's eyes just kind of rolling around in his fucking skull like eight balls in the corner pocket and then fucking, you know, and then obviously gets taken care of with the peacemaker. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, uh, one of the, another, obviously the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the sun getting, uh, exposed from the, from the horizon, so to speak, scene is, uh, you know, when they pull together all their fucking shit. And, uh, they convince old Uncle Red to get him a silver bullet made. Yeah. And, uh, you know, fucking, I love the, the Jane, Janie's dialogue over it. You know, obviously grown up, uh, adult version of Janie. 
um, you know, saying, you know, Uncle Red said he was an old world craftsman. But he was more like a, what did they say, like a weapon wizard or something? It was, can't remember what. Yeah, she said like a... a Yeah, like, yeah. Because we were talking about fucking Vigo Mortensen earlier, so I was like, <laughs> you know, Lord of the goddamn fucking rings or whatever. Um, but yes, that that sequence too, and it, part of me wondered, because remember, I don't know, like, Gary, okay, imagine Gary, a dude like Gary Busey walking in your goddamn, like, armory or whatever, you know, being like, hey, uh, so, uh, you know, need to make a uh, silver bullet. I got this chain that I clearly don't wear that I probably took from somebody. Can you melt it down? Like, yeah. You know, it, it, it was cool to see that that guy didn't seem that taken aback by the whole thing. You know, he wasn't weird about it, I guess. No, he was... You, know? you, you kind of think he knew exactly what was going on, too, because I love that <laughs> Gary Busey's like, hey, how's it going? And he's just like, my nephew has just discovered the Lone Ranger. <laughs> like, and, uh, and, uh, I love, you know, obviously the whole, being able to see the whole making of the silver bullet too is so like, it's such a special moment for the film. It's like, you know, it's such a, such an awesome scene. Like I said, there's so many goddamn memorable scenes. It's such a great movie. And, uh, you know, and I love that, <laughs> I love that, you know, uh, the the uh, old world craftsman's like oh, best piece of work I ever did I think and then he's just like ought to be pretty accurate and he's just like hell what are you gonna shoot a silver bullet at uh or uh, make uh, what are you gonna shoot a forty four uh forty four caliber bullet bullet at made out of silver and just looks at him with that straight serious creepy face and goes how about a werewolf It's just Exactly. Great. So, uh, the uh, the uh, the obviously the unsp- unspoken and only has a few scenes. Uh, Marty's father and the uh, old Red's uh, Red's uh, sister there. They decide to take a little trip, leave Red in charge. Uh, no wild turkey, I'm sure, for Red this time. Oh yeah. Um. And, uh, yeah, she was, she was quite high strung. She was so like protective of Marty. Cause at the beginning, like, <laughs> you know, when she's criticizing red for his divorce and then she's yeah. fucking like, you know, uh, when red's like, oh, you're just showing him how to fucking, uh, what's he, what's he, what'd he say? He said something about like, get out of the thing, get to bed and, or getting out of the, out of the chair and out of the toilet. Like. And yeah. then, and then she's like, you know, uh, 
she criticizes him uh, and says, uh, you know, uh, what the fuck did she say? She, she she's like she's like you you come into town once a month with your crazy stories and whatever, <laughs> just like you know the irresponsible drunk uncle. But like, how quick is she to hop in the goddamn car and put her children under fucking drunk uncle red to watch so that hubby and her can go and bang in fucking New York or wherever the fuck they were going? Like, yeah, yeah. They couldn't get out of that house quick enough, you know, like. Well, I he said he said something like he's like oh yeah because he's just like did you really they're like did you really win a trip to like wherever he's like no but the moon is full yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, but yeah so they're uh, Uncle Red staying with him he's got the forty four mag with the silver bullet and uh, you know the obviously. They're waiting up to the wee hours. The fucking cable access goes off air with the fucking uh, God Bless America closing off for the night. Fucking Donnie Darko shit. That just reminds me of Donnie Darko. Every time they see shit like that, like right before the plane hits. Oh, yeah. The the father's in the chair watching. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then it's just static. Yeah. That plays and then it's static. So anyway, continue. I'm sorry. It's like the fucking image like that. And uh, an old Red's uh, sitting there, and uh, old Winston uh, burns his finger. Dude, how real is that, though? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. How many times have we heard stories about this shit happening? Exactly. I guarantee you Tom Ackerman's falling asleep with goddamn cigarettes in his hands. I think I bet over to the Acker Ranch when Tom's falling asleep, like... With the fucking cigarette in between the index and metal finger. Oh, it's so fucking dangerous, dude. Like, <laughs> and, you know in that scene when they were panning around all of them sleeping? Yeah, I yeah. I couldn't tell if I saw, like, a little wisp of smoke. But I was like, I, no, no, no. And then you see him, like, jolt, like, sit up, fucking whatever. And it's just like, god damn that could have been a fire in the house. You know, like, that's where my mind goes. Yeah. That's the fact that, like, oh, Uncle Red fell asleep with a cigarette in his hand, and he woke up. Like, I'm thinking, like, they could have burned down the house. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, that's where my mind goes. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, th- I, th- I always think the same thing as well. So, he, he wakes up getting his fingers burnt by a cigarette, and then, um, you know, he starts, uh, Uncle Red's had just about enough. He's like, I said I'd stay up with this stupid gun. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, then Janie, uh, well, he's getting ready to fucking, you know, they're, oh, Uncle Red, you promised. And then he's just, you know, Marty, what, what if I say no? I'm not going to bed. Well, I'm just going to have to yeah. kick your ass. <laughs> like, uh, and then, obviously, Janie sees the wolf. And then, uh... We're on. And the fucking lights go out. And then old Uncle Red's a really shitting. Dude, how many breakable items were in that house? Yeah, what the that fuck? That looked like it looked like my mom's house. There's so much fucking glass and knickknacks and fucking antique fucking... It looked like a combination of every one of my grandmother's houses plus my mom's. So we're talking like three people, four people maybe at this point. Oh yeah, all the fucking, all the fine china and all the fucking like weird floral printed fucking white like 1978 <laughs> fucking plates that every 
every woman our mother's age had to have like a bunch of them for whatever reason. But they would never get used. They just kind of sat. Yeah, yeah. They'd put them on like a fucking china cabinet or like a hutch. I don't know if you've ever heard the term hutch. Yeah, yeah. That that was the, you know, that was the classic Satch line. Where the fuck are my keys? It's on the hutch. (laughs) (laughs) Super fucking backwoods fucking lingo. Fucking nick nicknames for knickknack holders. Yeah, he wasn't numb by the old wild turkey, so he had to fucking... He was taking the brunt force that landed on all the fucking hutch items. (laughs) The hutch items. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's... uh, I love that. I love that he didn't just, like, bust through a window or something. I like that he broke through the whole fucking wall. Dude, like I said, it seemed like he broke every, like, breakable item in that house. Oh, yeah. No, no. Reverend Lowe was flawless fucking victory. So, uh, you know, Reverend Lowe, obviously, he uh, meets his demise. Uh, the old werewolf gets the old silver bullet. Um, and then, you know, transforms back. We see the transformation scene where he goes from Harry werewolf uh, slouched over in the corner. Um, and he's been shot in the other eye now. It's a grown naked man in the corner. And, uh, 
And uh, I love that little scene. You know, obviously they like reversed rolled the footage, probably did something to make it look like all of his hair was like uh, receding back into like all the little holes in his body, all the pores, uh, whatever you want to call them, all the hair follicle holes. Um, so that was a that was really cool to see. And then you know, comes back for one last scare, and and he he's out. And then that's all she wrote. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was awesome. I, I, I don't know if that's a staple in like werewolf films, but like I hadn't really ever seen that. And like I, I was just like, God damn, it's it's super gross, you know, like the whole melting of the nose back into the face, you know, the snout into the nose, like I don't know. I I, I was very impressed. Yeah. I thought that was fucking I thought that was fucking cool. Yeah, it was well it was well done, especially going back to human now I gotta I gotta say both uh, American Werewolf in London and uh, The Howling are both great films. Um, Joe Dante actually did The Howling. Um, no shit. Of you know obviously of Gremlins and you know the Burbs and uh, million Inner Space and a million different other films. Um, but yeah, it's uh you know Silver Bullet. What a what a fucking film. Uh, dude, I I can't thank you enough for fucking bringing this into my orbit because. I feel like, just in general, with, like, Stephen King shit anyway, um, being, like, not necessarily backlogged, like, I'm, I'm under the Tommy Knockers right now, which is fucking great so far, um, but, yeah, it's just, like, there's, there's so much out there, and when I can just catch, like, a good fucking, you know, when I can catch a, a really great fucking adaptation, even though I haven't read, like, the novella yet, it's, like, the next one on the docket as far as adaptations, like, I really want to check out Needful Things. Because, like, I somewhat read the book recently, and I believe Ed Harris is in Needful Thing. Yeah, I've heard good things about it, but I have not seen it or read the the book either. No, the book's fucking gnarly. That's another one where he where it ties in, like, a town. I don't know, dude. He's, he just has this love affair. Like I said, you'll go back to that well where it's, like, the struggles of all of these characters, and it's painting you the, you know... Yeah, it's painting you a picture of like a whole quaint town and all that in Maine, rural fucking Maine or whatever, you know. It never, it never seems to get old either, which I appreciate. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, that, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely skill set accompanying with that. So much love. So I, uh, again, man, I want to thank you uh, for bullshitting with me for uh, Jesus, almost an hour and a half now. I'm, I didn't even realize we were talking that long. I'm sorry. Hey, of course you uh you've uh, reciprocated and and uh, hooked me up with the uh, the Dark Tower, the first two Dark Tower books, which uh, can't thank you enough. I'm 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 picking my moment to dive into those, uh, so I'm uh, I'm amped for that as well. Well, I, I think I mentioned it via text. Maybe I said it. I, I can't remember. I just ran anything down or whatever. But um, dude, at the very least, even if you just check out the first one. Because, like, even though I love the universe, like, everything, like, that he's written and, and how everything kind of ties in with the Dark Tower and shit, I think that that book in, it, in and of itself could, could, I say could, be a standalone because it's so well written and it is one of my favorite books. 
general. So, like, even if you just check out that book and, like, you fucking wait eh, fucking years or you never even jump into the other one, the first one, it's just a great fucking story. The tale, you know, it's just fucking... It, it should whet your appetite with all that shit. And then, I don't know, you'll, you'll fucking be able to go from there, man. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're open to that shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Now, uh, before I let you loose one last time... um. Now, uh, what's the uh, status of the old uh, Capital City Smiths podcast? Because I got to tell you, I've uh, I've been uh, been itching. I would it was something I really enjoyed that you and Hannah were doing. Um, so, uh, do you have any th- any plans uh, for the future of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we are we definitely have some plans coming up. Um, a big thing, like I said, I mean, we kind of went to hibernation post October to just fucking beat the shit out of us. That was a hefty promise. Yeah, um, yeah, for made. sure. It, it, it took a lot of us, but um, at the same time, we've been like kind of ratcheting up um, things on our end. There's a lot of planning and shit. Obviously, this fall, um, we have some big, big changes, life changes, shit coming up. But we have talked and mapped out some sort of a loose idea for what we want to do. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a variety thing, um, a revolving door of sorts with different people, like different friends, and. I don't want to say it's going to be around some sort of a game, but that will be in there. So, all, you watch, like, you watch It's Always Sunny? Yeah, all? yeah. Okay, so you know, like, Charlie McDonough, like the game? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's not at all going to be like that, but it's definitely going to be, like, just this insane fucking, like, very auditorily friendly fucking format. And it's... We don't know exactly. We, we have something mapped out, but that's kind of that. That would be like a little tease into it. That's kind of what we're going to try and do, because it'll allow us to do it, you know, once or twice a month. But it'll create like a good share of content. Oh um, hell yeah! I look forward to it, man. I think it's. Uh, I think that's a brilliant aspect to bring to a podcast format. Yeah, and and on top of it too, it'll allow us to when we want to do the 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 other, form, you know, when we want to, you know, talk about films or, or whatever, like, we can easily veer away from that, but kind of having that as, like, the flagship will be nice, because, I don't know, the, the consistency thing is always fucking something else, you know, yeah. about that. But in the same token, that's why I love Hargot Media Podcast, because it's like, you know, I'm fucking bored at work, I'm sitting there, whatever, analyzing malware or something, it's like, I want to jump on and listen. I can fucking take my pick, doesn't matter if it's movies, music, whatever, like, right. I can go through and I'm going to be fucking entertained. So kudos to for what you got going on over there. You've been super inspirational to both Hannah and I, and um, you got a fucking great thing going on. So never hesitate to let me know when you need uh, you need help, assistance, whatever the fuck it is, dude, I'm there. I'm totally, totally behind what you're doing. It's I, I think we might have to incorporate a monthly uh, Stephen King episode where we talk about a, a book or uh, a film adaptation, just you and I. Uh, keep me, uh, keep me in the loop. I'm very interested in that. <laughs> very interested. So. Well, hell yeah, man. Uh, again, can't thank you enough. Uh, it's always uh, a pleasure. And uh, who knows? Maybe one of these days we'll be able to get fucking Brian out here, and we might maybe oh, able to I... record this alien podcast. Hey, uh, that's that's a wonderful idea. You know, when I get off the the phone with you, I'm actually going to send him a text and harass him a little bit, even though he's probably still working. I'm definitely going to send that little. You know, I'm gonna do a little jab. Like, hey man, how you been? Let's do the Alien podcast. Like, 
So I'm glad you reminded me of that. <laughs> Good. I'm, he'll appreciate it, and I definitely will. But Lou, thanks again, man. Uh, I appreciate it. It's been uh, this is uh, this is was a fun ass fucking episode. Hell yeah, dude. Well, enjoy the rest of the night, and uh, keep me in the loop, dude. I'll check you later. Yeah, take it easy, man. Later. But. All right, everyone. That was uh, Lou and I talking uh, all things uh, Silver Bullet. Uh, what a what a fucking awesome uh, movie, and what an awesome conversation. I really can't uh, I really can't thank him enough. Um, and it's so awesome that he's just discovered it. Um, it's just fucking sick. I love it. I love uh, Stephen King. I love the film adaptations of uh, probably ninety five percent of the, the ones that have been done. Um, but you can check us on Instagram at HeartGuideMedia, on Twitter at HeartGuideMedia. Give us a follow. If you're listening to this, for the love of God, please, 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 please give us a follow on social media. Rate and review. Uh, we are on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. You can uh, follow on SoundCloud. Uh, please listen. Spread the word. Uh, man, what a fucking... Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um. And I'm, we're back full swing in this now. So, uh, so yeah, thanks a lot. And this has been the Heart Guy Media Podcast. I saw what I saw. Psychotics are more active when the moon is full. And this guy's a psycho. When they catch him, you're going to find out he's just as human as you and me. got to get this idea out of your head. There are no such things as werewolves. The Bible tells us to fear the terror of the beast. I am scared to death. What are we going to do? I think I know. I want you to turn this into a silver bullet. Heck, you're gonna shoot a 44 bullet at anyway. Ain't not a silver. How about a werewolf? The moon is full. You better watch it. I think he's going to come after me.